we're going to start in verse 1 um, because we only coupled like three verses last week. So just quick review to get us up to running. Now the, now the, the book of 1 John um, has a couple central themes. John tells us why he writes 1 John. But um, I want to tell you just in the, in the overall idea, this is a no-nonsense kind of um, challenge to your life. And John says, if you say that you're a Christian and yet your life does not show any fruit or reflect the fact that you say you're a Christian, then you're a liar and it's not true. And so he's challenging us to look in the mirror and say, you know, if we, if we really love Jesus, there's something in our life that shows that. There's a reality of who we are as Christ followers. And so John, um, in many ways throughout, and again, not like a central theme, but that's who, who John is. And that's how John is approaching in 1 John. And so here we're going to get some more of the evidence that we should have, the main evidence that you and I should have as Christ followers, biblically, and, and, and we should know this by now, the answer to that is what is the main evidence that you are a Christ follower, that you love Jesus in your life, is love. Okay, number one is love for God, the greatest commandment. Let's ask you that question because that question answers this question. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, the, so that's kind of where John's going. Now he begins in verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know, one of the problems that we're having in um, our Bible college in Georgia and, and training these folks is exactly that. And it's true everywhere. It's true here in, in, um, in, in Utah, and it's true in California, and it's true everywhere. Understand that there are two roads, and Jesus said one road was broad and one road is narrow. And he said, many will go down the broad road, which leads to destruction or hell. And very few or few will go by the narrow road, which leads to life or heaven. And, and, and false religions began, Satan began starting false religions in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 6 with a guy by the name of Nimrod. And Nimrod was the first leader of organized religion against God. Nimrod was called in the Bible a hunter, uh, and, and he wasn't hunting deer. He was a hunter against God. He was a hunter of men's souls. And so the Babylonian religion that we see in, in Revelation 17 and 18 get conquered by Jesus finally <clears throat> begins in Genesis chapter 6 as a one-lane road. And you have one lane and one lane. And then what's happened since Genesis chapter 6 into today? is that Satan has continued to broaden his road to the time thousands of years later when he gets to Jesus. Jesus says that there's a broad road and a narrow road. And since Jesus, guess what Satan has been very good at and he's continued to do? Continued to broaden his road. So for your average person that just doesn't know God and, and is confused, and people don't want to be deceived. You know, we don't want to be deceived. I understand, my heart breaks and I feel for them. Now, they are, we are to some degree, they're without excuse, but at the same time, when they come to me and they say, they say, listen, pastor, you tell me this. The priest down the street tells me this. The bishop on that corner tells me this. None of you guys agree. There's so much out there. How could I ever know what to believe? That's an honest question. That's an honest question. And my heart breaks, and I want to give a, a heartfelt and a good answer to that because that's a very true reality that we face as Christ followers in trying to witness, right? Same thing with with. with the context that we were just talking about on my missions trip. 
is that there's so much out there and Satan is continually flooding with all of these lies that it feels like a really daunting task to try to get people on the one road. But we know, and you and I know, that, that the, the, the only um, standard of truth that's going to keep us on the straight and narrow is the Word of God. And so that's why Paul here, or I'm sorry, John, is encouraging you and I that we are to test the spirits. We never teach, the Bible never teaches, Paul never encouraged anybody just to believe what the pastors and teachers and prophets say. That's never encouraged in the Word of God. What's encouraged in the Word of God is that you check these things out and find out if they're true. And the way you check them, the standard you check them with is the Word of God. So if I tell you something, and if I say, I was in prayer, I was in deep prayer last night, and I took charcoal and I made a bed of charcoal and I crawled across the charcoal on my knees just so I could pray for you guys. And as I was praying with sackcloth and ashes on my head, the Holy Spirit appeared to me and he told me to tell you, what, I don't know, nonsense, nonsense, to buy me a Cadillac. <laughs> that God says you don't have to forgive. That God forgives your sins that you're going to do in the future. You're okay. Like anything that I say to you that is contrary to the word of God is a lie. And you're to test those things. If somebody gives you a prophecy, a word, it's okay in love and in spirit to go and test those things. And again, I can't tell you anything. Don't ever let anybody, don't let me ever tell you anything that's contrary to what the word of God says because it's not true. What, I, what, what the preacher says, the pastor says, the, the, the whatever says, the priest, the prophet, the, the clergyman, it has to be consistent with the Word of God. I had a gentleman tell me, I use this example all the time because it was somewhat fresh. He was going through something and he was, he was, he was hurt very bad by another individual. And I encouraged him in forgiving this person and releasing the power this other person had on him. Because forgiveness is not about the other people. Forgiveness is about you. You, you know, there, I was, was talking to somebody in Israel just now, and they were, they, they were in a, 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 a ministry that was helping people who had been sex trafficked. And, and um, they're, they're doing these counseling things and giving them the gospel. And he said, we're, we're, what, what God is using to heal these people is forgiveness. And I said, what? And he said, he said our, 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 our plan, our, our, our counseling is forgiveness. We're, t- we're teaching them, we're encouraging them to forgive all those that have hurt them. And they're, and they're finding healing in their hearts by forgiving. And, and so the forgiveness is not about the people, it's about us and God freeing us. But anyways, this person says to me, they go in, they say, oh, I prayed. I prayed and God said, I don't have to forgive that person. What did I say to this person, my brother in Christ? liar you're lying God never said that to you in verse 2 it says by this you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God and this is the spirit of antichrist which you now have heard was coming and now already is in the world now again this is the factor I, I shared this last just by quick review listen it's all about Jesus it, again another way for you to test where somebody is coming from is what is their position on Jesus is Jesus a good person do you realize that that in the Quran, and Muslims will tell you they believe in Jesus, and, and Jehovah Witnesses believe in Jesus, and the Hare Krishnas believe in Jesus, and, but you have to see who Jesus is to them. And John tells you right here, if they deny 
that Jesus as God, as coming in the flesh, as, as the Son of God. If, and, and again, what they have to do is they don't need to take Jesus and, and move him to the bottom lad, rung on the ladder. All they need to do is move Jesus down one notch, and, and, and that's good enough for Satan and for a cult and ism, a schism. And that's what they all do. 100% of anything outside the body of Christ will have this in common. They will take the position of Jesus and lower it just a little bit, right? If you get in a plane and you're heading for Hawaii, and, and the pilots, um, if he's one degree off, by the time you get to Hawaii, you'll miss it by 400 miles. So you don't have to be completely off just one degree, and that's what they need to do. And so Jesus, that's why we say, that's why I have this sign behind me. That's why, you know, as part of our ministry, it's all about Jesus. And we have to get Jesus right. We can get lots of things wrong and lots of different churches within the body of Christ. We can't agree on everything. I, I, you know, that's, that is what it is. We don't agree on the gifts of the Spirit. We don't agree on baptism. Some baptize babies. We don't baptize babies in our church. Some speak in tongues in their services. We don't speak in tongues in our services. They, they do different things. Like those things, none of those things matter whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. We can, we can get those things wrong and still be okay. But when it comes to Jesus, you have to get that right. Because that is a difference of whether you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. Getting Jesus right. And so that's what John says here. And then in verse number four, he says, You are of God, little children, and overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. Can I get an amen while we're at it? Hey, listen. Thank you. Hey, this, this is a memory verse scripture for you, right? This is something you have to understand as a Christ follower. He that is in you, who's in you? Okay, is greater than he that is in the world. Who's in the world? So when Satan is attacking your life, when Satan is lying to you, when Satan is coming after you, is Satan a bigger enemy than, than the, the victor that you have on your side? So when the two battle, when Jesus that is in you, and, and he's battling this oppression, this attack over your life, who's going to win? Who's going to win in your life in these battles? Jesus. He that is in me is greater than he's in the world. It doesn't always feel that way. Right? Sometimes this oppression does feel like it's going to bury us. This, this spiritual attacks, they feel big and important. But there's this constant reminder, and you have this, memorize this. He, it's really simple. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Okay? Now, we keep it always in its context of John chapter 4 here. But I, but I do think we do have some liberty here to keep it that simple. That the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. Now, this verse and, and many others in the New Testament, Calvary Chapel... We we're very serious and staunch about the idea that you cannot, as a Christian, be possessed by a demon. Okay? You cannot have a demon inside of you. And You know, when I went to church, and I didn't have a ton of experience in church growing up, but my aunt was hyper-Pentecostal, and at her church that I did attend a few times, there was a demon for everything. If you smoked and you came up to the pastor and you said, hey, I've been struggling, and I, I, I want to quit smoking, will you pray for me? He would want to cast the demon of nicotine out of you. If you came like me and you just had a problem with eating too many Twinkies and you said, hey, I can't stop eating Twinkies, he, he tried to cast the demon of twi Twinkie eating out of me. My sister, true story, that was a joke. My, my, my sister, 16 years old and, you know, afraid of the dark and uh, fear in life, and he wanted to cast the demon of fear out of her. At the time, unfortunately, he spent his time casting demons out of my sister and she didn't know Jesus. So I think maybe we should have started with 
you know, getting her saved first. But again, in some places, you have a demon for everything. You come back next week, and it's a different demon. It's a different demon, a different opportunity. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, he's not going to share your temple with a peon. Definitely not going to allow a little demon and they're not enemies. Listen, don't ever think that when you see these spiritual clashes. Now, if you're talking angel to angel, okay, maybe that's a clash in the heavens. Boom, a big fight, you know. Who's going to win? The Bible says that the angel, Mark angel, uh, the archangel Michael was tussling with Satan over the body of Moses. That could be a fight in the streets, you know, throwing blows. Who's going to win? But if it's the Holy Spirit, if it's Jesus and the devil, Jesus and an angel or a demon, there's no fight. There's no comparison. You know the battle of Armageddon? The entire armies of Antichrist are going to be gathered, and Jesus is going to come back in the battle of Armageddon. And when the fight's over, it says the blood of the enemies of, of God is going to rise to the horse's bridle. Where's the horse's bridle? About here? The horse is standing up, so blood about this high. God says he's going to summon the birds, the carnivorous birds of the world, to the battle of Armageddon so they can start cleaning up the mess. So that's a clash, right? That's not how it's going to go down. There's no fight. Jesus is on one side. The enemies of the world are on the other side. I, you guys won't catch this in context because you guys are all too young. But somebody that's my age, I, I grew up watching a show called Bewitched. <laughs> do you remember how she would do her thing? She would go, <laughs> and she would wiggle her nose a little bit. And then that's, that's kind of what Jesus is going to do. <laughs> oh, I dream a genie. Same thing, right, bitch? They're diff some different. Yeah. But anyways, there's no fight, right? There's no fight. Jesus is going to say the word, and the battle of Armageddon is going to come to culmination as he's going to defeat the enemies of Antichrist. So he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Know that, right? Know that. Have that. Understand that. Believe that. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Encourage yourself with that. Encourage your friends. Encourage your neighbors. And then it says in verse 5, they are of the world, therefore they speak of as the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who does not know God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So again, one of the, one of the John words, and, and I've told you guys week after week what they are. You should have them written down, know them. But they're specific words that John uses in his vocabulary a lot. I guess if we were all writing, we probably would all have certain words that we kind of proclivities that we would, we would repeat. But John repeats the word love, obviously, more than anybody else. The word abide, the word the world, when talking the context of the world, and the word no. And so here we have in this verse, no, no, no. Because part of the reason that he says he writes is so that you would know that you know that you know. You don't, you know, faith is not blind faith or blind evidence. It's factual. It's knowing the truth. And so here it's the idea that we are of God he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Listen, John, Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So it's one of the encouragements that I have when people come to me with that question. There's so many lies and deceptions out there. But yet there's a promise. There's many promises in the word of God. That if you want to know the truth, if you're seeking the truth, 
and you really just, hey, what, I want to know what's out there. I want the truth. You, there is a way, and you will and can find the truth because God's voice is clear to his children. And when you're a children of God, Jesus says, my children know my voice. And they, and they hear, and they follow, and I, and I know them, and they know me. They follow me. It, it, Jesus said, I, I'm, I st- behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens to me, I will come in and I will dine with him. And so as a child of God, there is that encouragement. Yeah, there's a lot of lies. But God is going to filter those lies out in the spirit of God. The Bible says that, that the Bible uh, itself is spiritually discerned. You know, dead, dead men tell no tales, right, is a pirate's theme. It's true biblically, too. If, you, if you're not born again by the spirit of God, some things in the Bible, they're not going to make sense to you. But as you become born again, as you believe, then things start to open up to you. You start to understand the Bible because God's spirit that now lives inside of you helps you understand. It resonates, things that are true. And it's never going to work the other way. So many people in the world, they say, man, if I could just understand, if I could just see the facts, then I would believe. And unfortunately for them, they're going to get stuck in that. Many people are going to go to hell on that rock, on that lie. Because God's just not going to do it. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you first have to believe. You have to put trust in God. But as you do that, God fills you with the Holy Spirit. And as God fills you with the Holy Spirit, all of those, those what you perceived as intellectual hang-ups before, you, you start to understand them. You start to grow. God does begin to answer those questions and, and tell you those things. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, I was reading the Bible, especially as a new believer, but even today, and I'm like, oh, that's in the Bible. And that's where that is. And, and it's just like so many times, but that happened after I became a believer in Christ. Amen? So we know. And then in verse 7, look at verse 7 with me. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Do you realize as Christians we're supposed to love each other? Okay, so look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Okay, now look at the one you didn't choose on the other side of you. And tell them I love you. <laughs> I, you know, one of the things that I love to do when we get our men's groups together as I, I, I tell the men, listen, I want you guys telling each other you love each other. And for some of the men, it's kind of different, you know. But after a while, it does just become second nature where, you know, men telling men, I love you. I love you. And not in a weird way, right? We're not, we're not, we're not getting silly. We're not getting weird. We're not crossing fingers and holding hands. But, but it shouldn't be strange that as Christ followers that we love each other, Right? We're called to love. I love you. I love you in Jesus' name. You know, I, I, I grew up with it, even as a non-believer. And I don't know what it was, but my brother, and I thought it was weird too until I just heard it so many times. But my brother said to all of his friends, he was like the only one doing it. But my brother was always saying, hey, I love you, bro. And I grew up with that. So it, it was kind of more normal for me. But at the same time, like, it, it's good. It's good for us to love. And we're called to love. Amen? In verse number 8, it says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now understand this. This is one of those mysteries in our Bible revealed, but just understand, this doesn't mean God has love, God shows love, God teaches love. It says God is love. Agape love. God is agape, of course. God is love. So I don't know how to unpack that. It doesn't mean that he doesn't show love. He does show love. He, he gives love, all those things. But at the same time, the very attribute of who God is, it's one of the descriptions of his character. And there's many. It's not just singular. It's not just God is love and that. 
such, a, such an, a big facet of things to define who God is. But God is love. And we should all be very thankful for this. It, 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 it's, it, you know, it's a good thing, right? Because what if God was that, that God that some of us kind of imagine sometimes that, you know, he sits on a big throne in heaven, he's got a big white beard, and he strokes it, and he's got his legs crossed in his throne, and he's watching the earth, and he's waiting for us to mess up so he can zap us. Zing! Zing! You know, and he finds joy in, in zapping us when we make mistakes. But that's not the heart of God. God is a God of love, and he loves us, and we're to be like God. We're, to, we're made in the image of God, and we're to be um, light bearers, and part of being a light bearer and being, being made in the image of God is that we're also to love. It has to manifest itself in our hearts and lives. It has to be the result of who we are as Christ followers. Amen? Now, let me tell you husbands and wives, but I'm going to start with you husbands. Listen, love is not an emotion. Okay, men? Love is an action. Okay? You, 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 you just understand that. Now, love has emotion. When you break up, when things happen, things hurt, you cry, it, 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 emotion is involved. But love itself is not um, an emotion. It's an action. And, and how do I know that? Because it says in verse number 9, In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave and it tells us um, to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so again, you know, we, we, we want sometimes as men, we want to hide behind the idea of, oh, baby, I love you. I love you. You know, I love you. But we treat them like, you know, dirt. And guys want to punch their wives, punch their girls around, knock them around, and then say, oh, but I love you. I love you. No, you don't. Love don't punch me or hit me. and Love doesn't treat me that way. Love is an action. Love is an action. Love is giving. Love is dying of self. Don't ever let anybody, you know, love, the word, oh, I love you is cheap. I mean, we're encouraged. We should, we should constantly tell each other we love each other. I just said that. But at the same time, don't let yourself be deceived by somebody who, oh, I love you, but they're treating you bad. That's not love. Love is action. Amen? Love, love has thing. Now, um, verse number nine, you have to understand this, that the the bio, the bio, let me let me do this. Let's look at Psalm one nine, not not one nineteen. Psalm nineteen, verse number one. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read it quick because we're running out of time. It says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork." So I've unpacked this for you guys many times. So we'll just do it briefly. The fact that God exists um, is seen in creation. The handiwork shows the firmament, and the handiwork shows that God is real. When you when you stand and you see the the, you know, you're in Alaska and you're looking at the ocean and above the ocean are these green foresty mountains rising up that are snow-capped and waterfalls are coming down and eagles are flying through the scenery and it's just breathtaking beautiful. It declares the glory of God. But what, what none of that stuff does, none of creation is able to do is tell you that God loves you, that this God who created this loves you. And, and God does, makes no attempt with those things to show his love for you. Every time biblically when it says God wants to prove his love to you, it's the cross. It's Jesus dying on a cross is God's way of showing you that he loves you. That's the biblical um, precedence for God's love. And that's what it says here. And so God wants to show you that. And he's proved that to you by sending his son. In verse 10 it says, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen, just understand this about this verse. 
God is the initiator, we're the responder. You know, sometimes you, you, we give Christians a hard time because they're like, oh, I found God. And we're like, no, you didn't. God found you. Now, I know what they're saying. They're not being, you know, but, but the reality is if we're being technical, God found you. Um, God reached out to you, and you responded is what you're saying. And I know you don't mean it the other way, but, you know, we don't need to beat each other up over these, you know, kind of remedial things, semantics. But, but ideally, none of us found God. God finds us. God reaches out to us. God is the initiator, and we're the responder. So people say, oh, I love God. So what? That's not, that's not impressive. What's impressive is not that you love God. You should love God. What's impressive is that he loves you. And we, and we respond, and God's the initiator. You know, it's, it's like even, even, you know, some people, like, like I talked before, God, love is an action. And I, and I pick on this same person for the last 25 years. I should probably start leaving this person alone. But when I was in Bible college, there was a particular person, and they said all the time, and we, and we did life together for about two years, so it's been a lot of time. And this particular person was like, oh, God, I love you. I, Jesus, I love you. I love God. I love Jesus <laughs> all the time in prayers and worship. And, and I'm like, but they didn't live their life that way. I'm like, you don't love God. I seen what you were doing five minutes ago. What are you talking about you love God? That's lip service. You, stop saying that. You're making me mad. You don't love God. There's no action behind it. You know, and, and I don't know. So I kind of got jaded with the idea of God. I, don't, I, I, I very rarely do. Sometimes but. You know, I have other pastors I love, Calvary pastors, and they just in the habit of saying, oh, God, we love you. And every time I hear it, it's like, like, but it's just me. It's just me. But the reality is, again, that's lip service, right? To love God is action, and, and, and we prove it by walking straight. You know, Chuck used to say, God, don't care how, how high you jump. God cares how straight you walk when you land. Amen? And then in verse 11, it says, beloved, if God so loved us, then the obvious result is that we should do what? That we should love one another. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Okay? Singular. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. If you have the Holy Spirit working inside of you, what, sh- what should be produced is love. It's manifested in about seven to nine different attributes, but love is the ultimate result of God working in your life. It says in verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. This is a proof statement, right? That, that if, we, if we say we love God, and we love, then we should love one another, and God, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. You know, Moses wanted to see God. Moses and Solomon, the only two people in the Bible that were given a blank check by God. Both of them were given the offer. Whatever you want, ask me, and I'll do it for you. Remember Solomon? Solomon asked for wisdom, and God says, since since you didn't ask for riches and gold, I'm going to give you wisdom, I'm also going to give you these other things. Moses gets a blank check in the Bible, and and, and God says, whatever you want, Moses, ask me, I'll do it for you. And Moses said, I want to see you. And the Bible says, you know, no man can see God any time, so God couldn't, you know, show him the Father, he wanted to see the Father. And Moses, God says, Moses basically, okay, I, I can't show you my face, but I'll do the best I can. He hid Moses in the, in the cleft of the rock, the Bible says, and it says that he passed by Moses and he covered his eyes um, for part of it. And Moses got to see like the, the backside of God going by. But it was enough and it fulfilled the promise. Now why, given a blank check, okay, let's, let's do it right now. I don't have a checkbook, but, and I'm not God, but let's pretend. I got, I got a checkbook, it's a blank check, and, and I'm here and God says to you, ask me one thing, whatever you want. Riches, gold, silver, it's a genie wish. What, what do you ask for? 
Don't, don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> but, but in your mind. But Moses says, I want to see you. Why? Why, why would, of all things you could ask for, I want to see you. The only reason is because you want to see somebody if you're madly in love with them. Right? When you're courting, what do you want to do? Men, girls, when you first really fell in love with your, with your forever person, all you wanted to do was spend every waking hour with them. Right? You wanted to see them. You wanted to be around them. That's love. And Moses loved God. He wanted to see God. And so, um, in, and it's, again, it's this evidence. In verse 13, it says, By this we know we abide in him and he, and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So all throughout the Bible, the Bible says you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And part of the function of you being filled with the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of God that, that you're his and that you, he knows you and you know him. Verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides him and he in him. So again, more proof, uh, again, about the issue of Jesus being right. And if you say you're a Christian, you have to have Jesus right. You know, that's one of the contexts in Israel that's really frustrating. Um, the, the Arabs in Israel are either Muslim Arabs or Muslim Christians. There's no other ground. And the ones that are Christians, they're not born again. They're not really Christians. They're just not Muslim. They didn't grow up Muslim. So I, I, I met a guy there, spent some time with him. His name is Sam. Amazing guy. Loved the guy to death. You know, and I, I was even praying like, you know, I know a lot of ministries in Israel that is trying to reach the Jews and different groups. But I'm like, Lord, is there an evangelical group that is there is just focusing on reaching the Christian Arabs, real gospel? But to talk to Sam, he's so lost. He identifies as Christian. He says, yeah, I'm Christian. His parents were Christians. He, says, yeah, he, tells me, he told me, he said, he's like, my mom, he's like, if you walk by a church, and when I was growing up, if we walked by a holy site or a church, she would make a stop and make the sign of the cross. And, you know, like as I grew up, I was like, mom, that's not what God wants. And, um, but but they, they say they're Christian. But they don't know Jesus. And he didn't believe in hell. He told me, oh, no, hell's a lie. That There's no hell. Nobody's going to go to that. That's crazy. That's brainwashing people. And just so lost, but identifies as a Christian and doesn't know the Lord. And so here we have these things again in the scripture where there's some proof. There's some ideas. And one of them is we get Jesus right. And in verse 16, it says, we have known and believed the love, of God, the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. In verse 17, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may be boldness, we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Can I get a hallelujah? Okay, verse 18. I want you to camp on verse 18 just for a second in the last two minutes that we have together. There is no fear in love. Everybody say, no fear in love. Okay, and then it says, what's the second half of that verse say? Perfect love does what? So listen, 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 listen. It doesn't mean that, you know, even in ministry, even in the, in the conference that I was just at, there was a moment where it was like, I, I, was, I was like afraid. Um, I wanted to do well. There was, there was some intrepidation and there was some tears and there was, God help me, I don't know if I can do good and you know, I, how, why am I even here? And am I going to be able to really serve these people well? Am I going to be able to do a good job? And so there's a little fear, and I'm like, Lord, Lord, but yet help my unbelief, and yet God help me move forward. And and and, and I, I don't feel confident in myself in this position, but God, I want to be used by you, and I want to. So so understand, right? There's there's a there's a place for fear. There's a place for some intrepidation in life. And the Bible says 365 times, do not be afraid. God's not going to tell you something 365 times if it's not a tendency that we're going to have. But here we read in 1 John that, listen, fear is not God's plan for your life. If things in your life cause you to be afraid, you can know that's not from God. 
God does not function through fear. He doesn't motivate through fear. He, he doesn't do anything through fear. It says perfect love casts out fear. And that it is possible in Christ to live a life apart from fear. You know one of the things that the coronavirus did in, 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 in America and in, in the world, in my life personally, it, it, it opened a, an, a, a, in my mind just something where it was like I never saw before. I was, I was amazed, and it took a long time to process this thought for me. But looking back, I'm like, it's mind-blowing how many people that I know, that I, that I did life with, that I ministered to, that, that were a part of my life, are just so afraid. And it exposed a real fear that people live in fear, so many people, by the masses. Because fear, they let fear dominate their lives, and fear dominate their decisions, and fear, fear, fear. But even through the process, and I don't think I did all things well through corona. I don't, I don't think so for a minute. I, I think I did my best, and I think I sought the Lord. But one of the decisions that I made was I'm not going to make decisions based out of fear. If it's fear that's motivating me, it's not a godly motivator. And here it says, perfect love casts out fear. First Timothy, or is it First Timothy? Second Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of love and of power and of a sound mind. Again, memorize that verse. Write it down. 2 Timothy 1.7, memorize it. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but that of love and of power and of a sound mind. And if you wake up with nightmares and you wake up with fear and, and you're afraid of the dark, Speak this verse into your life, over your life, over your fear, constantly. It's a tool for Christians. I cannot tell you how many times, and I, I grew up without a dad. I grew up a single mom, and I'm afraid of the dark, and I don't watch scary movies because I learned a long, long time ago that if I watch a scary movie, I can't turn the light off and be alone in a room for the next two weeks, and so stop doing it, and I don't do it. I hate them. I don't even like them. I just... They, 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 they're designed to create fear. And it works. But at this verse, how many times I've woken up in a sweat and afraid, and I said, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but that of love and of power of a sound mind. God has not given me knowing and speaking this into the darkness, speaking this into the thing, encouraging myself, saying the name of Jesus, saying the name of Jesus over my fear, and, and trying to make a conscious decision. I'm not going to make decisions based on fear. Amen? Amen. All right. We are done because we are out of time. <laughs> Let's stand together. We'll read, we'll read the last five next week. It's, it's getting late. Let's have the worship team going. Come on up. Hey, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but that of love and of power and of a sound mind. Memorize that. Should we do it together? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay, so just know that. Memorize that. Encourage that. That You know, we don't need to, we don't need to be motivated by fear. God wins in the end. You know, you can always say this. I read the last chapter. God wins. And, it, and, it, and if you don't make it to the last chapter, you just get there a lot sooner than everybody else, you lucky duck. <laughs> but it's still a win, right? I remember there was a funeral service, and one of the pastors um, was preaching the service, and it was very near and dear to my, I think it was his mom who had passed away. And, and he was saying, you know, he was saying she had cancer. And he was saying, 
in the process of, of praying for his mom through this concert, he was saying either, either um, God is going to win or God is going to win. Either she's going to have victory or she's going to have victory. Either she's going to defeat this or she's going to defeat this. And I knew what he was saying. There was going to be a miracle and God was going to take away the cancer or God was going to do a miracle and take her home and she was going to have victory in heaven, And right? Because there's victory here and there's victory there. And whether we get it now or we get it there, it's still a victory and we still win. Amen? Amen. Father God, we come to you, Lord, and we, we thank you, Father, for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word, God. Father, we thank you.